This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Outside Looking In, the show wherein I bring somebody from another market to talk about their team and also to kind of give the outside perspective, i.e. outside looking in on the Raptors. Today, Mike Prada, who was on for the Wizards last season, is on for the Wizards this season the credentials, an editor at The Athletic, and also wrote, wrote a fantastic book. It's here somewhere. It might be over on my desk, my wow. other desk, but it's spaced out. And I believe um, you. It's okay. Yeah. You don't have to lie if you don't have it. No, no, it's it's right over there. I can see it. It's right <laughs> by Treasure it. Island and the Hundred Years War on Palestine, if I believe I'm correct. Anyway. Interesting so, spot for that? Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Spanning all the genres there? That's That's right. <laughs> So anyway, Mike is, in my estimation, one of the the great historians of of basketball. He's watched way back. He's documented a lot of it. He's written about how the game has changed a bunch. And we had an awesome conversation last season about the Raptors, who were, who have been over the past decade one of the burgeoning teams that kind of help set trends in especially defensive schemes there's a couple wrinkles offensively that they've helped to bring to the forefront as well but we talked about the vision six nine stuff we came across as a little bit more pessimistic than most of the fans and the raptors last season still managed to undercut everybody including our expectations of how good they would be um by obviously missing the playoffs having a lot of burnout Nick Nurse, fired. Uh, Fred Van Vliet, gone. There's turnover. Uh, I just got a broad strokes. Mike, thoughts? Is this where I say, yeah, I was right now. Yeah, Um, yeah, no, it went a lot worse than I thought. It was actually kind of sad. I'm sure it was sad for Raptors fans too. But, um, you know, when we talked last year, we were sort of wondering if, you know, the league now that they had tape on – some of the unique things that the Raptors were doing, how they would respond. And boy, I think they certainly responded in a way that I think even surprised me how quickly it happened. You know, I also wonder if, and this was obviously the big question, the talking point that came in at the start of the year for Toronto was, we kind of, it would have been silly to expect, I think, Scotty Barnes to just go from like, Again, to use a, the cliche phrase, a linear projection. But I know I, I was still a little surprised by just how big a drop it was before he had to jump back up again, particularly in the beginning of the year. He just looked – it looked like he was being given responsibility he wasn't ready for. And I think that dynamic really hurt the delicate ecosystem of what Toronto was going through. Uh and what they were trying to do. And, you know, those two combinations caused them to start off really poorly. And it, you know, really was only after the Yaka Pearl trade that they started to get it back together. Right. I mean, and that's when they became more quote unquote conventional with the real center in the middle. Uh, so yeah, it was um, definitely a bit of a surprise. I, I thought that there would at least be more momentum going forward and that they might stay still, but I think, yeah, definitely a, a quite a bit of a surprise how stale it got, how quickly it got stale. Um, definitely kind of surprised me a little bit. Yeah, once they once they traded for Jakob, I think despite w- not really stealing any games, but definitely losing some winnable games, I think they were at like a 47 or 48 win pace with him on the team. They would have, if they had kept everything together, I think they would have been a pretty good team running it back, albeit 
a very, very expensive, pretty good team, which doesn't happen all that often. Um, the Scotty Barnes stuff, yeah. He had uh, ankle stuff going on at the start of the season, which affected a lot of his mobility. And I also think that, and we'll see, um, the initiation stuff was he was out of his depth as far as trying to initiate offense, yeah. especially with a live dribble facing the basket. He didn't really showcase anything in his rookie season to indicate that that would be successful. And the Raptors were put in a position where they need him to do that because the shot hadn't come along. Pascal hadn't some hasn't cemented himself as like an elite floor spacer, despite being elite at many other things. They had to try and find spacing somewhere. If you're not going to get it from your six ten, you know, forward like Scotty Barnes, it made sense to have him on ball so you could try and you know, milk spacing out of other positions. Um, it, it obviously didn't work. They are going to be in a similar position this season. Uh, did a huge podcast with Evan Gualberto, who is um, a coach at one of the best um, high schools as far as basketball programs go in America. And Caitlin Cooper, who is the best at writing about basketball. If you want to understand the game, um, just Caitlin Cooper, her patron, did an episode with them kind of breaking down what we know about Darko's, um, his ideas and concepts for offense, the personnel on the Raptors. And if anybody wants a super deep dive, you can watch that. But Mike, Dennis Schroeder is here. He looks great, you know, in FIBA. He looks fantastic. Um, There's like, you know, McDaniels joins the team on the biannual exception. There's like, what do you think for that? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, if Dennis Schroeder gets to play against Team USA's defense the entire season, I think it'll be good news for the Raptors. Uh, yeah, it's a weird. I don't. It's. I didn't like that signing. I thought it was rushed. I thought it was a bad fit. Uh, you're obviously talking about the shooting element, um, and that's a huge part of it. Uh, I think also you, you you sort of saw this at the beginning of last year a little bit, uh, where. We talked about it on last year's show. The dynamic of the Pascal OG Scotty kind yeah. of touches in each other's spaces issues, I think, started to go to the forefront more once Scotty was put in a position to have the ball more. And, you know, you're adding to that with Dennis Schroeder in a way that you don't have with Fred Van Fleet. I, I just, I, it can work, but I don't think it, I think it's going to be very tricky for it to work. Um, not just again because of the shooting, but also because Schroeder is. Not it, it, he is a player who plays well with the ball in his hands, attacking in space. And I just don't know where that space is. You know, I suppose you may have him running more inverted pick and rolls with some of those forwards, but you know, I, I don't, I think you'd have to be really creative to be able to give Schroeder the runway to attack switches. I, I don't think that it was a good fit. And I thought it was a rush signing, you know. Wait, I have before, a lot of qu- before we go further. Can I try and quickly convince you that it might be not a great signing, but better than you expect? You I can think, try. <laughs> I, so yeah, yeah, I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna do my best. I think that, and keep in mind, I'll, I'll ask you this at the end. But Gabe Vincent was somebody who a lot of Raptors fans would have wanted to put on this team instead of Shooter, for what it's worth. But Shooter, I think his role on this team upcoming provided that he's not, maybe he's starting, maybe he isn't. I'm not exactly sure. Um, If he's not starting, who is starting? The Raptors do a lot of messaging about Scotty as a point guard. Yeah, okay, that sounds like last year then. I mean, aren't we just going into the same? I mean, I guess the the way you could put it is that last year was the, the difficulty before you get to the vision. Sure. And I think that with the Raptors, you know, the reporting has been pretty clear. There's been attempts to trade Pascal. And this is from all sides. Like, it's not it's not a secret. The Raptors see that as far as, like, harmony to run these players together, this personnel, it's probably not very good. Um, so there's been attempts to shake it up. They know what they're kind of heading towards. But with that said, I think that Dennis especially in helping a bench that was truly atrocious last season. I think that the bench is filled with a lot of, you know, fledgling shooting or shooting if healthy, if Grady Dick, you know, shoots well his first season, if Otto Porter Jr. is healthy. You know, there will be guys on the bench who can shoot it. And in some transitional lineups, I think that there will be 
a few lineups they can run out there with decent amount of spacing. And I think Dennis can eat up a lot of possessions there. And I think he'll have a pretty good season doing so. That said, I still don't think the Raptors offense is going to be good. And I think it's going to be a massive problem. And But Dennis on the mid-level exception, I think is, um, I don't think it's a bad signing. I'm, I'm certainly okay with it, but the Raptors weren't fixing anything with signings. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the the whole like sort of way Fred VanVleet departed was, I think, raises a lot of questions. Obviously, <laughs> yeah. so perhaps the the Schroeder misgivings are extra collateral from that whole thing, especially now that we know that VanVleet basically has a two year contract with Houston. Um, it is sort of a little bizarre how that whole thing was handled, uh, and the fact that Schroeder signed literally the next minute after sort of, it might, it might be just the perception of like kind of, Oh, he's the best guy left. We got to have somebody, uh, you know, we are talking a lot about offense. I think the thing that was most disappointing about the beginning of last year and the thing that, you know, speaks to the staleness of the approach and to the league figuring out the style is that the defense was really poor last year. And I do think that some of the same problems you ran into with Scotty Barnes on offense was also happening on defense where it was this guy could do anything on defense. He can guard anybody and everybody can like work really hard to compensate. I mean, that only goes so far and it, especially so when you consider how Nick Nurse seemed to have lost the team mm-hmm. really early on in the season. And so it was really only once they got Pirtle and they actually could build a conventional defense that they started to defend quite well. And so that, that to me is I, – I had a feeling that might happen at some point, but I was surprised by how quickly it happened. And if this Raptors team is not a good defensive team, like what is it doing exactly with the way it is, is being constructed? So that – I think some to some degree, like what they were trying to do on defense with that ma- maniacal play, uh, with that kind of flexibility, with the lack of rebound and the lack of an anchor, that is more so what the league picked up on with vision six, nine, than the offense was in some ways, you know, the offense looked clunky, but it looked clunky the year before too. Yeah. The offense, the offense is fine. Like it's fine enough. They're going to be bad in the half court for like, it'll be the third year in a row. They managed to be okay in the half court in the Tampa season way back when, but it, but they've been bottom five, you know, the next two seasons, it's going to be bad. Uh, The defense has to be, to make this team compelling top 10, like at the very least. And it, it was bottom 10, wasn't it? At no, no. For, for this, up, for this, right. And it was season. bottom 10 at certain points early last season before the, it, it was a, it was a really bad defense for a long time. And it was that, uh, a little bit later to spots, a little bit less sticky at the point of attack, a little bit less, um, I guess, horde like getting on the defensive glass and those little things once you slip a little bit you know it exacerbates more as far as the chain down the line and they started losing everything and i think there's a cumulative thing uh evan gualberto had mentioned this but how you know jurgen klopp and liverpool after being the premier league team that ran the most it only lasted for a couple years running that scheme because, you know, the players who had been there, you start to feel the wear and tear. You can't keep it up that hardcore, you know, footy and, and basketball in this case, where you see the guys who play the most minutes, the guys who have the most miles traveled um, are Raptors players. I think after a couple of years, it started to wear down on them. And I don't think that's been recharged. I think a conser- more conservative defense where they have size at every single position is going to help them shrink the floor. And I think that they're going to be a very strong defensive team this year. But more so just on this season, I wonder what you think they might look like. Well, they'll certainly be better if Pearl is healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, to your, when you're describing the shrinkage, is also it's also relevant how much Nick Nurse played as starters. So, I mean, that, that all ties in. But, yeah, I mean, to your point, this is sort of where, you know, when you're trying to be someone super different, it does break down. Um, I think they will be – obviously better defensively this year, more conventional. Um, I don't know. I still think that there are elements of, again, the Scotty OG Pascal thing where it's, you have certainly in Scotty and Pascal until Pascal gets traded. So I guess some of these discussions are academic because it seems pretty clear that the Raptors are going to make a big change to their team. Maybe waiting only two years for them to do it. 
But yeah, Scotty and Pascal occupied very similar defensive roles as well. Um, I think this this like this goal of like Scotty being this one to five clamp defender who could switch one to five is uh, rather than sort of the roamer helper hasn't quite materialized because he's such a young such a young guy yet. And so if you have both of those guys there, I mean it was it was doubly bad when you didn't have a center kind of anchoring them, and it's still going to be I think a little bit of an issue. Um, so. You know, we'll see how that plays out. They should be better defensively, though. I mean, but you're right, too, that an evolution of style, because uh, if I understand soccer correctly, while Liverpool was going through that way, Manchester City was almost playing more like Liverpool. That is that kind of how things worked out? Sure, yeah. that's There was a lot more of kind of the, the heavy pressing running. I mean, off the ball, at least. But it's interesting. It's interesting that that's sort of both of those teams have had to evolve uh, in order to be the team that they need to be. Toronto probably is in a similar spot, but you know there are a lot of there's still a lot of structural issues there. Uh, I don't know. I'm like a lot. Are you sad that Toronto is a little more conventional in some way? I'm a little sad. I know. I know you liked that they had an identity. Um, I'm not sad you don't, about it. You don't care. I, I watch you know i watch i cover you just every want them single to be good. game yeah i watch and cover every single game like it isn't a novelty i tune into like oh cool um it's every game you see very apparent flaws and like these ruts that they you they can't get themselves out their arms are long but they cannot climb out of these holes you know um i and i didn't find it that compelling well, I think, yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. Last year, for sure. Um, you know, so. And I like bigs. I, I I watch Brooke Lopez. I just have a hell of a time, you know. I like good big men. They, they're fantastic. And um, watching Jakob Pertle, that little slide step that he uses after catching on the short roll so that he can use his dribble later so that he can pump fake at the rim. Like just there's a bunch of big man stuff that, you get to watch now that you just didn't get to watch at all for a couple of years. And there's, yeah, big men are really, really important. And I love what they allow guards to do on the offensive end of the floor. And the Raptors, despite being unique, um, it wasn't that compelling after, you know, a time. right. Yeah. 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 I guess I just, you know, I thought it might be a challenge for them to maintain their style. It just, it just happens so quickly. I mean, one of the big questions I imagine now as well is what happens when Pirtle's on the bench? That was a problem last year. Uh, <laughs> and I might, it might still be a problem. Uh, can you be somewhat yourself, what you used to be without Pirtle on the floor? Or are you, are you in a position where he's now become so important and there is just a ceiling to what your team looks like with Jakob Pertl as your center. You have less versatility in certain matchups. You know, how are they going to handle the minutes where he's not on the floor, both offensively and defensively, because in addition to being, you know, a good defensive player, they finally had somebody who could run a pick and roll. That was kind of nice. Uh, and that really helped them out last year as well. I, I just sort of wonder like kind of, can you, can you at least maintain some part of your old identity when he's off the floor? Because I could not last year. Mm-hmm. They well, they lost. They hemorrhaged minutes when he was right. wasn't out there. And I think so. For a fan who watches the team, they'd say like, if if they're a fan who gets into the numbers on off stuff, even you could say that. Well, they won a lot of minutes with Christian Coloco. He's an interesting big. He's seven one. You know, he provides a a decent amount, well, a large amount of size. And, you know, there's a lot of length there. He is, last season, though, abhorrent on offense. No hands, um, too slight to kind of make himself known and potent around the rim, um, which is, you know, a, a fairly big deal. Precious Achua was the great hope the year before. He had, um, Nick Nurse had a really tough time saying yes to playing Precious Achua and, you know, kind of lambasted him in media a few times and was giving him a pretty difficult time. Precious had a really tough season. Uh, it's a team that's still made up of forwards. Which of them are going to step into the like, oh, I'm a five for four out of, you know, nine possessions in this stretch of play and you're there for two and you're there for two. And it's probably not going to work out super well, but Again, I think that their transitional lineups, they're hoping that there's going to be an influx of shooting. 
maybe with Jakob off the floor, it means that Scotty also gets to dabble further into that. You know, it's a little bit simplistic to call it the Sabonis role, but the Sabonis role where mm-hmm. um, he had success. Yeah, role, let's yep. say. And he had success running that for about three weeks last season. He's a great playmaker. Like you, you let guys cut and, you know, fill in front of him. He's going to make a lot of really progressive reads, play guys into advantage and all that kind of stuff. Um, there are opportunities. I think the big thing for this, and this is where some people will differ from me, but it's they're going, the fixes aren't currently known. Like the problems are known, but they're not going to find fixes to everything. And that's okay because I, I don't think this team should be expecting to be really good or really impressive. And I know some people really thought that Fred Van Vliet was the root cause of all problems, especially in the fan base. There's, I know you're making that, I I know you're making that face, but Fred Van Vliet was a, like a much maligned character. um, What was it that, what was it that was so maligned about him? I mean, I know he had a rough shooting season, I suppose, but like, what was it, what is it about Fred Van Vliet that kind of drew that out of people? You know how there's like, projection and people what? do like no, no, and, no and way. people do like <laughs> do like fan fiction um but they'll take it seriously there is a a narrative that took hold of a lot of people that um Scotty and Fred hate each other and that Fred was actively hurting Scotty as a player and mm. you know, that very powerful within the Raptors community. Fred, so it was. It wasn't that there was no room to actually for Fred to actually pass Scotty the ball because all the defenses sucked in. It was that Freddie hates Scotty. Well, and Fred is a ball hog. That those are the optics. So and this uh, happened so much so that Fred well, in I, his goodbye. Enjoy Dennis like, Schroeder then. <laughs> but, but this is like uh, this. But Fred in his goodbye message said, "I went from." you know, X and Y to the most hated. Like it, it got so much that Fred Van Vliet actually commented on his way out. He he was very maligned by the, the fan base for, for what it's worth. But this is all changing. I don't think that they are going to fix everything, but I don't think uh, I don't think that this team is set up to be very impressive. I know some people disagree, but that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, they have major big questions like, you mm-hmm. know, what it's going on, Pascal Siakam? That's sure. like, it's kind of hard to like. It's kind of hard to talk about what the team's going to look like without that sort of question sorted out. I would say what has been kind of surprising to me on the outside looking in over the past couple of years, and I, I've always sort of believed that kind of the the, the idea that Masai Ujiri is this big bold deal maker has been overstated. You know, he seems sure. to be more of a continuity type of guy. You know, he never blew up the Raptors. I know he he almost did. Uh, he never really blew up the Nuggets. Uh, he seems to be a guy that I, I think his, his aggressive reputation is perhaps overstated. But I have been a little surprised by how, you know, slow they have been to, or not proactive, re, or even beyond reactive. Because, again, I think you look at the Van Fleet free agency situation, and I find it hard to believe that they couldn't see what happened coming in a better way than they did where they could have extracted some value for him either they, at the deadline or they were trying you know, to sign him very hard. Well, if they were trying to sign him hard, I think I, what it, then I'm surprised that like the third year team team option deal that Houston gave was like actually what made the difference. Something about that whole situation. I feel, I think it's very obvious to me from the outside that they misread and well, I, they've, I, they've had misreads for sure. Like uh, objective and, misreads. Yeah. And I think uh, certain, I think the way they've played the Siakam hand has been a little misread. We'll see what they end up getting for him. But they, they have been surprisingly late to uh, to sort of be making moves to solve some of these problems. I think they've been way more reactionary over the last year than I I would have expected. And this is a, supposed to be a forward-thinking organization that kind of knows who they are and kind of anticipates problems. And they really haven't. And so... To talk about the way the team is looking on the floor, it's so hard for me as an outsider to divorce myself from just this that staleness and that surprising inactivity or like inability to sort of be honest with yourself and all that sort of stuff that you would typically associate with the Washington Wizards front office. I'm sorry, I'm going to say. Uh, it's been hard for me to kind of d- disassociate myself with 
the fact that they're bringing in a coach who is very different from Nick Nurse, you know, they are going to probably play a lot differently. They should probably be happier. It's hard to be sadder. Um, there's a lot of like, I think if they were to clear away and have been more proactive about sort of what, what, where are we going with this roster? What is this supposed to look like? I think I'd feel a lot more, I feel a lot more intrigued by the encore product, but yeah, as of now, I think it's just really hard to predict, you know, Siakam in particular is just, uh, he is a player that does a lot of really good things, but you know, he does a lot of really good things his way. You know, you got to play his way uh, on both ends. And so, once they trade him, I think it will be – it will depending on what they get in return, it will dramatically transform, I think, what the team looks like. Hmm. Assuming they do trade him. I I think I disagree on the effect of how domineering Siakam is as a player. But also, like, yeah, if, if he's gone, it does change a fair bit because, you know, then you don't have that guy to give the ball to. You have to start looking elsewhere. And also, if you the pieces you get back might fit a, a style of play that's more complementary to the guys um, on the team who are trying to make that first step. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that necessarily means that Siakam is um, kind of like controlling Not, what's happening. I don't think he's a actively controlling. I just think he's an idiosyncratic player with unique strengths and weaknesses. Um, you know, he has certain things that he is really good at in certain spots. I just think it, I think it's sort of, that's, it's just a unique player. I mean, let me ask you this in a different way, because from the outside looking in, how much of sort of some of the things that the struggles that Scotty Barnes was going through was in some way related to sort of this, again, this Siakam Barnes kind of duplication of skill sets. You don't think very much. See, to me, I still think it's, it's something there. Barnes by every metric plays much better with Pascal on the floor. And, um, but but then then you throw in the the Ananobi part of it too. I think it's you could maybe yeah. I'm wrong. I, I don't know. I, I, I think, think that there are everybody plays a, a part in it. But I think that Pascal is you know I I wouldn't put I wouldn't put the blame at his feet because he is he had played all NBA level basketball next to Kyle Lowry and a super free flowing offense. He had played second slash third fiddle next to Kawhi who was playing, you know, an isolation offense and was playing next to Kyle Lowry, et cetera. I mean, look at who and, else that that team had other than Kawhi, though. Sure, exactly. <laughs> but know, but the, was, the point being that... Like, it was also that, a very different style of player at that point. Uh, like, he still he still found a lot of success in isolation, although had a higher percentage of, uh, of buckets in, like, transition. But right. I think that Pascal has worn a lot of different hats um, in his career, whereas OG and Scotty have not. And I think like the rigidity is a combination of all three rather than I think like Pascal dictated. I agree with that. I mean, I'm not saying it's – I just think once you remove the Siakam element, if you remove the Siakam element, it it will change a lot of – potentially for the better for the larger structure of all of it. You yeah, know, I think remove, that's, that's more I'm of not a saying skill set than style, I think. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean – because if you bring in if you style. bring in more shooters and also like Scotty Barnes doesn't shoot, but that means you get to move Scotty Barnes into the four, and that means that your four right. isn't shooting instead of right. your three and four not shooting, and so it's like you. But you could accomplish the same thing if you traded Scotty Barnes. For I shooters. agree with that. Yeah. I I totally agree. I mean, right. I'm not. I, I I agree. I think it's the con. There's, I. They work well to they can work well together because they are so versatile. But I think excess the, the style of player that Skybars needs to be, one of them is gonna have to be the type of player that I don't think that they either want to be or at their at their best being. Sure. Um so I and I think it would it just is gonna change the dynamic quite a bit. You know, I this is something that I think we could have seen coming once they drafted Scotty Barnes. I mean, when they, they drafted him to be a superstar player, they really value the type of player he he is. They they picked him not because of I don't think like how he fit with the team. They picked him because of his upside. It was the right decision. But there was always sort of a timeline issue, I think, coming into play. And it was just it wasn't gonna I think it was gonna be a matter of time until like this hit ahead. They still should have made the pick. 
they still should get the time together because there's a lot they could they learn from each other that will benefit down the road. But I do think it was a little awkward. But it might have been awkward if they had picked Jalen Suggs too. It's just a matter of how they had that draft pick. This goes back to your proactive commentary, which is that you know prior to drafting Scotty, the Raptors were once again trying to trade Pascal, most notably almost to the Cavaliers. And I know that wasn't widely reported, but. And then Pascal comes back from injury because he had his torn labrum Mm -hmm. and he has an all NBA season. Scotty Barnes has a great rookie season. The Raptors play a different brand of basketball. They overachieve significantly than we have next year. And the rap, and then we see, you know, Pascal still has an all-star season breaks down over the course of it. Scotty Barnes stagnates a little bit, still improves, still wins way more minutes the past season than the year before still finds his way to improve in small areas of the game, but the team as a whole kind of breaks down. And now you're left once again at this same spot, except Pascal is closer to, you know, end of contract and Scotty Barnes is one more year into his rookie scale and the promise of playing Precious Achua or a spacier five, which makes them more tenable as the three and the four. At least in you have to save the defense and Fred VanVleet's pick and roll possessions by trading for Jakob yeah, there's, there's just a lot and then Jakob, <laughs> yeah. And then Jakob having no jump shot whatsoever at the five exacerbates Pascal and Scotty's lack of shooting at the three and four, and none of it really makes sense. Like the yeah, team there's building, just a lot going on. The there's team building, they compounded problems, it seems like. It's very confusing. Yeah, I mean, I think that's – the what. then you also, going back to what you were saying about the Raptors fan base sort of getting annoyed at Fred Van Fleet not passing Scotty the ball. I mean, a lot of it was because when Pirtle came in there, Fred had a pick-and-roll partner for the first time, and that became a bigger part of the Raptors' offense. You know, and that, that was their less, best stretch of offense. Right. Statistically so now, during the year, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it's still all in progress. All's, all may wet – All's well that ends well if they get a package that makes the whole better in the end. But I do think they have missed some opportunities. And, you know, we haven't even talked at all about sort of the OG and OB persistent trade rumors of it all. They want the extension badly. Right. Which makes more sense if they trade Siakam. Yep. So, yeah, it's just there is a lot going on. And I always feel like I'm surprised again by just how much is going on given what the Raptors reputation seems to be. Well, the Raptors, I I did a video looking at all of, you know, the transactions that Masai had made. And there's a huge delineation, but like pre and post championship. And there's Mm -hmm. also some, you know, the Oppenheimer did a really good job of kind of, you know, even in, in a popular movie that people have seen, that's why I'm making the reference. I'm not trying to be a nerd, but it's a collaboration. Most great things, if not all, are all the result of collaboration. Whether people get credit or not, that's up to, you know, that's up to mm-hmm. whatever the communication out of it is. But um, there was brain drain from the Raptors organization over the years. They lost Absolutely, they lost yeah. scouts, they lost people in the middle grounds, they lost rank and file, they lost people, and despite having like a perfect record where they turn Grievous Vasquez into somehow OG Ananobi and Norman Powell, where they turn Andrea Bargnani into Jakob Pertl, where they turn, you know, Rudy Gay into all these guys who help you win games. Patrick Patterson, maybe most notably, like one of the Terrence Ross becomes Serge Ibaka. Everything works and they get an all-star undrafted guard and they get, you know, an all-NBA at 27, like Everything works. Everything is great. And then the championship happens. They choose Dewan Hernandez. He doesn't hit. The next year, it's Malachi Flynn sandwiched in between, you know, McDaniels, like Jay McDaniels, who's really awesome, and Desmond Bain, who's really awesome. <laughs> I didn't and, even realize it was, those are the two guys yeah. around him. Yeah. Well, this, then, this is a lot like how the uh, back in the day, the Portland Blazers GM that passed on Jordan for Sam Bowie was like also known as this brilliant drafter of talent and found all these diamonds in the rough to make the Blazers a contender. But like that one mistake just haunts him. Like there's no, there is no like one great thing, like you said. Yeah. Uh, And and they haven't, uh, and they used to sign like even Rondé Hollis Jefferson, for example, 
had a huge year with the Raptors in 2019-20. Like he was awesome. They haven't signed a surplus value mid-level exception biannual. They signed Bismack Biombo on the biannual exception, right? And then he had that right. huge run in 2015-16. They just haven't made a signing with surplus value. They haven't had a draft pick come with surplus value. Basically, Scotty Barnes at number four is the standout, but everything right. else post championship. They got lucky. They got lucky to get him. Yeah. Like I even mean, even they even they had it as a three person draft. They had they thought it was Cade, Jalen, um, and Mobley, and then Scotty, Giddy, Franz, you know, Suggs, and they had those guys in and they picked Scotty, and Scotty just happened to be good as hell, which is like fun. Yeah. Well, what you're describing right now, the the one thing that I'm wondering on the outside looking in watching Toronto on like a bigger scale is for lack of a better word, the Nick Nurse of it all. Sure. You know, to some degree, it, it it's very weird that a coach basically fires himself by doing a press conference saying, you know, I'm going to go somewhere else. That, that was that to be spoke to. And, and all the reporting has sort of said the same thing, that there was something. Maybe this is just always who Nick Nurse has been and it just got stale. Maybe the buffers that were before between Nick Nurse and some of the players were gone, maybe Nick Nurse got more gruff, you know, whatever it is. The optimist case for Toronto, and our, our Eric Kareem wrote a great feature about this, is that Darko is a very, is a completely different kind of coach. You could argue that the underachievement is due to the staleness and maybe having like a more collaborative, joyous atmosphere will make a difference. If it doesn't, then I think the point, the, the, Fingers got to get pointed back to that front office. But I think the optimist case here, I would feel better about that case if Fred Van Fleet was on the team instead of Dennis Schroeder. But I think that may be an interesting thing to watch is all the stuff that was the extra 5% that they didn't do last year. Will that kind of come back up and make the difference with a new head coach coming in with a new attitude and just not having Nick Nurse there? Yeah, that might be giving too. Again, I, that might be giving too little credit to be bashing too much a coach who won a championship. But it just you can tell when like kind of it it's not what it used to be. You can tell when the the vibe isn't right. Well, he's and, he's very hard on players. Uh, yeah, both, both I, I, I understand demands. that being annoying as hell. I mean, there are ins- inklings of this too before. This year, I mean, yes, in the bubble, he and Pascal clashed. That was a huge. That was a thing in, in the Tampa season. Where, yeah, was in the Tampa season or the well, even even which... Earl Watson, Earl Watson being on this hired the next season. Like Earl Watson was Pascal's guy, mm-hmm. and Nick and Pascal discussed. They like there as you mentioned, there were buffers. Like, yeah, and also yeah. like Nick Nurse had you know falling out with other members of staff. Nick Nurse yes. had um, rocky relationships with multiple players and like he had graded on people and it was, he didn't fire himself. He got out, he got out ahead of what he knew was coming. Right. And he, he's doing a bit of um, marketing in that sense. Yeah. Which uh, he's, he's good at. I'm yeah. very curious to see how he does in Philly. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, I mean, there's a thing when right after the championship year where he's like, yeah, Ronnie Hall, Jefferson, and Stanley Johnson don't know how to play basketball or whatever he said. Like, they don't know our brand of basketball. I was like, damn, dude. Like, it's just the start of the year. You could be a little bit less gruff. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm very curious to see how that plays out um, because you could argue that some of the underachievement was due to just that factor. And maybe that will be a little bit better this year and they'll surprise. It'd be nice to have sort of a good vibe season. But you also hear a lot about good vibes this time of year before the games are actually played. Darko is magnanimous. People really love him around the league. Um, There's a lot of player testimonials. That's pretty important. And um, I suspect he'll get more buy-in certainly than Nurse had by the end of it. Whether that hard to get less, you know. (laughs) Yeah, whether that buy-in translates into something tangible on court or in the win column, you would hope so. And certainly, they're hoping that Darko is a guy who can toe the line between trying to make them, you know, more competitive than people think, and then also 
you know, being able to help develop as, you know, some of the development stories are kind of what make up a lot of his resume, at least as yeah. perceived around the world. And that, that, of course, was once Toronto's greatest strength. Of course. And became Toronto's, one of Toronto's greatest weaknesses. Yep. They've, um, um, but, but, you know, it's it's one thing to have this vibe before you start. I mean, he, he's been a co- pro coach elsewhere, but never been an NBA head coach. Yep. It's just, it's different. You can't you can't have the same attitude when you're the boss sometimes, so we'll see how that goes. But I, as an outsider, I'm I'm cur- I'm watching that dynamic yeah. dynamic really closely because oh. it is such a 180, a line to toe for sure. I do want to talk about the Wizards. <laughs> you know, maybe not yeah, necessarily. They did it, they did like, it man. This is what it, you know. It's the end of the Beal era. I just they you, did it I, last year you mentioned like i don't know what they're doing i don't know why beals here like so the floor's yours is the directly in a good spot yeah they finally did it uh it's interesting to me that they dismantled the team so swiftly it tells me that they new ownership or the new front office was like oh we got this one shot before ted changes his mind i don't know that for sure but i sort of that's the vibe i got no, it's definitely long overdue. What's interesting to me, there I think they're going to be the worst team in the league this year. Like, I, I, how I many points see... per game does Jordan Poole score? Not as many as you think. Like, not I don't know. Not I mean, like, what did he score last year? He scored a lot of points per game. Twenty. I thought he scores a lot of points per game this year. Not the same. I mean, I I think they're going to be awful. I think I scored 20 a game last year. You know, yeah. I think he'll score 20 a game this year. I don't know. I guess maybe a little bit more because scoring is inflated. I, I think they're going to – I mean, the worst team in the league is probably going to be whoever suffers the worst October injury. You know, like last year it was Kate Cunningham and LaMelo Ball and all that pushed them. But, like, the team that's the worst team right now in the league is the, the Wizards. And I think that's okay. I, what's interesting is they're playing a very long game with this strategy that they have employed. Almost by, I think, somewhat by necessity because they couldn't get very much for Chris Porzingis because he could have just opted out. You know, Beal obviously had the no trade clause. I actually think they got a haul for him when you consider it looked like not a haul, and then the trade lasted forty two days, and by the end of it, <laughs> you're like, oh, what the hell? They, you know, they got a lot. Yeah, and all the while the Wizards, you know, new monumental NBC Sports monumental TV network website thing didn't acknowledge the Beal trade until it happened. That was pretty funny. <laughs> they saw promised comprehensive coverage of the Wizards and didn't mention this at all. <laughs> Team owned media, you know, but no, that, they got a haul, and you know, to short the Phoenix Suns is a smart strategy. I mean, like if you're going to pick one team in the league to short long term, isn't it them? Mm-hmm. You know, and they got the most they could, but it is far out and the last time they tried to rebuild they got fed up by how goofy javel mcgee nick young and andrew blatch were in shorts and gave up after two years what happens this year if this time if that happens i mean they're not getting a draft pick from phoenix until what 2027 i believe yeah so i mean that's a that's three years from now or four years from now um no three years Three years, yeah. Three seasons. Three seasons from now. That's a long time for this to hit pay dirt. You're going to have to be bad for a while. Can they stomach that? Um, even the like sort of manner in which they have re-signed players, they have Jordan Poole and Tyus Jones and DeLon Wright and maybe Jordan Poole if he rebuilds his value. These are guys – are these guys going to be on the team in three years? Like, Or were they signed to get traded some more? This might take a while. I am – happy about it because I think they just they reached a point where they had to just rip off the band-aid you know you just get to that point where it's like it's just not working you've got to start over but what how long are they gonna this ownership gonna let this runway go yeah. I don't know um and the other thing too is you know I'm excited I'm happy this is what they need to do and they're selling hope now instead of nothing. But the boy, those games are going to be a chore for the next couple of years. Like, they you, just are. I enjoyed watching Porzingis last year, at least. Like I thought he had a great year. I, they don't have him anymore. Like it's just going to be so much bad basketball. You know, necessary you, bad. But I can understand someone watching after a while and be like, okay, I want to have something real, and that's going to be the test for ownership. 
if you um if you cut five minutes of highlights of Bilal Kulabali and five minutes of Brandon Miller, you could convince a lot of people that Bilal was the higher pick. Um, but how if, far down the list does that go with Brandon Miller? Like, can uh, you do that for Grady Dick? Can no, you go even no, further down no. The this list? this isn't this isn't an anti-Brandon. This is a pro <laughs> Bilal. This is like Bilal. If you watch the game. You'd be like, where are the highlights? Because there's so much dead space where like nothing's nothing's happening. But I love Bilal or Brandon Miller. Bilal, Bilal. Okay, yeah. I mean, he's young. He, yeah, uh, you see it though, right? You see no, the, the I'm, feel I'm, for. I'm working my stuff. way into it. I'm there. Yeah, I really like Bilal. Um, we were doing the you know the draft stuff, and when Bilal was still like a a late first, early second round. Me and my co-host Trey, we were like, this guy, he seems Raptorsy. You might take a swing on him. And then, you know, it seemed like maybe the Raptors were the team that gave him the promise. Turns out it was the Wizards. And, you know, mm-hmm. really cool the to Oklahoma see him go City that high. I'm I'm curious where you sit on both Bilal and Grady. What kind of rookie seasons do you think they're gonna have? Well, they're totally different players. Mm-hmm. Uh Grady is probably gonna slide right in and play a role. Um Kind of, I mean, I think like almost like a taller Corey Kispert type of player. Uh, you know, I think as a rookie, there, there's good upside there. I think it made sense for where Toronto was. And Bilal, it's 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 the pick they needed to make, considering where they were. Other than Victor Wembanyama and Scoot Henderson, he is the one player that is like that guy could be the best player on a team, a really good team one day in this draft. Yeah, I think even Brandon Miller's biggest advocates probably see him more as like the current day Paul George, not like Indiana Paul George, but like the sure. current day. You know, like kind of not in not in Paul's MVP season, self proclaimed. Not not uh well what did he finish third that year? Yeah, third. Yeah. I don't not, mind not him like, saying it by the way. It's like yeah, I thought he know, had a great year. He was I not, thought he was in the and, MVP conversation. And we know what he was saying. He's I uh, he was yeah. shorthanding it anyway. Yeah. Yes. Uh no, but I, I think uh, Kulabali is the one player where you can squint and say he's got special skills. You know, his feel for the game is just remarkable at this age. His length, his sort of movement in tight spaces is so impressive. Uh, his step rhythm is really interesting. Um, he's just so weak right now. Uh, his handle's got to get a lot better. But consider he was on, like, the Metropolitan's B team this time last year. You know, it's a meteoric rise. The question I, I wonder about with this Wizards team this has also been a team that has not developed prospects super well. Is it really, what is the most beneficial way to approach this rookie season with him? The Wizards do have a lot of guys at his position, both experienced and not experienced. You know, they've got Kuzma, they have Denny Avdia, and they have Kispert. I mean, those are probably three of their best players. Mm-hmm. Does it make sense to just sort of throw Koulibaly in right away and let him fail? Or does it make sense to bring him along slowly? Or does it make sense to do something of uh, a combination? You know, what is the best way to sort of keep his confidence up while developing him? That is not something that this organization has historically done well with its rookies. They have either not played them at all, like Otto Porter didn't play at all his first year. And I was like, where is Otto Porter? He's got to get some minutes. Or That was, that like, was Raptors fans this season, by the way. Where's this yeah. guy? Where's this guy? He lost his toe. I I thought you were going to say that was Raptors fans in 2015. Like, hey, where did this guy come from? Sorry for the bad memories. Um, (laughs) But, no, he he didn't play at all his rookie year, and I don't think that served him. But also, Denny Avdia started his rookie year with, like, Westbrook Beal and that team, and I think he just sort of got shunted into a role that he couldn't fill, and it's hurt his confidence to to this day. That doesn't work either. So what is the balance here? Who does he have to beat out? to sort of get that playing time or to feel like he's earned that playing time. How much do you have to feed him to give him a chance to learn to fail? That is not something that the Wizards have historically done well. So like in theory, it was the perfect pick in practice. I got, I got questions and I'm curious to see how they handle it. It would, it would be cool if they gave him like the ball skills, that type of development it's not coming in game. That's just like Jim, 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 Jim. I I hope they're very specific in how they um, send him out on defense. And I hope they say like, you know, you played with Med. 
you you knew how to like cut and fill, run to the corner. Like you, he knows how to play basketball. He's not Rondé Hollis Jefferson, et cetera, right? You know, um, Rondé, like Co- if you're listening, Co- Kobe I'm, Hollis Jefferson. Exactly. I'm making a joke about Nick Nurse. I think you're great. Um, yeah, he listens to this podcast naturally, right? And so. Mm. But Bilal, I think, is like you ask him to kind of make it work on offense, see where you can fit. He spaces the floor at times. He is, from what I watched, has a decent knack for like when to cut and fill, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, he's, um, he's got great like court sense for yep. a kid his age. And, sure. and every once in a while, possession is going to fall into his lap where he can have that big winding crossover and something like that. But I hope they're really specific about the matchups they give him defensively. Because when the floor is open, he's going to cover a lot of ground and do like a lot of unique stuff. But it's kind of, you know, you talked about making, being a really unique mover in those tight spaces, how that translates defensively as well to being a guy who can, you know, Michael Bridges, for for example, is a really lanky guy who can, you know, he's like an eel on defense, kind of worming his way around. I love that. That's a great phrase. Yeah. And yeah, I just love to see Bilal used like that. Offensively, development has to come where you can even start trying to define it's right it's a hazy picture i think i think it yeah i think to your point it probably makes sense that they say you're going to come off the bench your number one job the thing you really need to be focusing on is defending your ass off uh and everything else will come you're not going to get the ball that much um you know you're going to have to find a way but but keep it to a limited role and don't throw them in with I wouldn't throw him in with starters right away, but I would allow him the chance to beat out a DeLon Wright or a, you know, not a Kuzma, but, you know, someone else in that wing rotation, uh, not a Kispert or Avdia, but they have, God, they still have a lot of wing players. Ridiculous. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. And it will be interesting to see how that plays out, you know, when you consider also that they have a coach who is good with developing players, or at least historically, but is also not the coach that the regime picked. Yeah. So that's going to be kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's obviously what we have to cling on to is clips of him doing cool shit. And I hope they do. I hope they give him those chances and kind of tamper his roll down because you know they. I don't think, in theory, that's sort of what they wanted to do with Avdia, but I don't know if the team was in the right place. And his skill set was in the right spot for him to do well in that. Because you, you mentioned that in the gym is where you work on stuff like your handle and all that. But the games are where you you get proof of concept and confidence. And mm-hmm. so if you get if you just can't do anything, it doesn't when you're in the game or you're you're sort of thrown in with something that you is way over your head, you're you're not gonna trust your work as much. And so that's I think what ha- has happened a little bit to Avdia, and I think that's the trick they have to avoid with Kulabali. Yeah, responses and reads is that's the game, you know, like you have to get your handle in the gym to a place where you might be able to get a step on a guy. Otherwise, you're not even going to reach the point where you start to get to make proactive or reactive reads because you're not really you're not causing a change in the defense or your or your defender in front of you. So the the possessions are worthless. You're not gaining anything. You can't, you know, pull anything from it to learn even so. um but as an off-ball guy, you don't have to be in the gym. You can make the right cut. You can, you know, find yourself in the right spot repeatedly without anything but movement. That and he's got all kinds of movement. He's really cool. Grady did yeah. a less dynamic mover, but different mover. That's a good. He's actually pretty dynamic. Um, he's got great footwork, especially like that that reroute off of pin downs, you know, like you that stab step and do, 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 start working mm-hmm. it backwards. Um, really good. He's pretty slick. He is, by a lot of people's measure, the best shooter coming out of the draft. He's big. He has a high release. He's also a fantastic cutter. He passes well on the move. We'll see how the we'll see how all that kind of stuff translates at the NBA level. Do you have any there, expectations? There is one there's one giant group of skills that you have not mentioned. I think deliberate omission. Let's hear it. I don't know. What, what about the other end of the floor? Yep. That he might makes be a problem. He, he has might a, be a problem. He has a good sense of uh, maintaining the correct shape of the defense as an off ball player. 
and as far as like stepping up to pinch in, um, usually makes the right decision. Foot speed is going to get him. It's going to yeah. get him. That's why I sort of think he's like kind of a taller Corey Kispert because like Corey Kispert moves the right in the right places. He just doesn't always move in the right places at the right times. Like he's sort of a step behind. How t- Corey's six six. Yeah, no, no. So that'll help like a six, little six. bit. That'll help the a size. Bit. Yeah, I, no, I think Dick is going to be a good player. Um, you know, I I wonder if maybe they're. I know I'm pretty sure Dallas was not going to take him because I think they really wanted an athlete. An athlete, but you know, there might be some teams that took other players ahead of him. You know, what kind of players Kaysan Wallace going to be? I have no idea. Like, would it have made more sense to take Grady Dick? I like. I do like Kaysan for what it's worth. I think yeah. he'll be good. But I think that the I think that the Raptors got lucky that Grady fell. Like, mm-hmm. I, I really, really do. A lot of the scouts in the NBA, outside of the NBA, I talked to just loved him, and you know. Who knows what they think, but or who cares what they think? Most people don't, obviously. Yeah. But thirteen um, has been a lucky pick recently, right? Devin Booker was thirteen. Donovan was thirteen. Donovan Mitchell was thirteen. Uh, I think Devin Booker was thirteen, right? Or was yeah? He Devin was Devin was thirteen. Yeah, thirteen's been a lucky one recently. Was Halliburton eleven or thirteen? Halliburton was eleven, I believe. Right. And then Giannis right. was fifteen. But um, who else I was at thirteen? Picks by year. Devin Vassell uh, was eleven. Paul George was eleven. Clay Thompson was eleven. Eleven's a good one too. Eleven is a good one. Yeah, uh, yeah I'll have to look it up. But thirteen has been. Uh, there's, I think there, there's somebody else I'm forgetting that was thirteen. Like an out and out star. Hmm. I'm trying to think. Thirteen. Sure. Papayanis was thirteen. That's hey, really exciting. That's pretty good. <laughs> The first uh, Giannis. Yeah. The first. <laughs> yeah, actually, Giannis's name is Giannis Son, son to Tacumpo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or whatever. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'll look it up. But I feel like 13 has been a, a good spot. Yeah, no, I think it, it'll work out. And, like, it'll be fun to see those two guys develop. I love rookies are always super fun. Um, He's yeah. a goofball, man. He's like yeah, a, I, maybe a little too much of a goofball. I, I don't know if I like the whole like the red suit thing. I thought he was trying a little too hard. I so he's like a he's like a little content creator. Did you know that he does? Yeah, he does yeah. TikToks. I was, I'm always skeptical of that. He, Tyler but, Hero was the one I was thinking of. He was 13. I think on this podcast, this listener base, they're not going to like that you included him to to make the case. Probably. I mean, I feel like Raptors. Would you rather are, him or Chris Duarte? <laughs> Um, I do like Hero for what it's worth. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, I, I think that Grady Dick is uh, he's in on the goofiness because he's doing like a, a parody. Maybe a little like, too in on the goofiness. He's doing like a parody of like, you know, swag boy stuff. You know, like he makes videos about it. It seems funny to me. Like I get I like that he's winking at it because most NBA players aren't doing a bit. And that's why I like OG Ananobi so much. He's the man who never speaks. Except off camera then he speaks mm. all the time it's a it's a thin line between knowing what you're doing and yeah. purposely kind of creating a formula for viral content sure. that is just like every other formula for viral content what do you think uh you know what, what's the formula to turn this podcast uh, you know a, a local uh, toronto podcast that toronto talks about- ha- toronto hater yeah that's that's the way to do it. The tr- and then you, you, what you really need to do is like blur me out and like deepen my voice so I sound more menacing and unlikable. Yeah, I could um, we, I could just attach like a I could say that you were the guy who found out that uh, what's his face. This is what I really want to ask you about. What's his face um, was leaking um, the private oh, information. The, oh, the the private. <laughs> okay. This is, this is, yeah, this is what I want to close on. Okay. Oh, yeah. The Raptors with great malice of forethought steal the Knicks synergy property. I just, <laughs> I gotta know because of my sniff test, I Raptors fans, if they follow me on Twitter, they've seen what my sniff test is. They'll hear about it. I'll talk about it make jokes about it, but I gotta know yours. What's this? What am I sniffing? I mean, like, it, you see this lawsuit come up, you start looking at it. 
I think you know what I think about, and I haven't really followed this case that much, to be clear. So I haven't followed the particulars. So sure. if I like, if this has either been discovered or if this is you know just totally off base, I feel like this is like James Dolan's revenge for the Kyle Lowry situation. This is what a lot of people think. They think it's a, a petty lawsuit. Um, uh, I think I mean, James Dolan is known for those. So like, it's not a really hard, not a really hard inference to make. So my reading about it, because, you know, it's my job to keep up with the team. I obviously made fun of it initially because I was like, they stole synergy from the Knicks. That doesn't make any sense to me. It is not yet clear exactly what happened. But my initial sense is that the scout on the Knicks was creating playlists, his work on Synergy, and then was just providing what he thought was his work to the Raptors, and then which he shouldn't be using his Knicks stuff for the Raptors. Okay. He shouldn't be doing that. It's, it seems like... So it was like an account overlap issue. Yeah, exactly. But okay. what happens with legalese is when you write something up, you want to make the, you know, what you're alleging sound as serious as possible for the court case. You know, you want to mouse a forethought. It's really, really bad. So in reading it and people just going to Twitter and being like, oh my God, they were stealing game notes on the Indiana Pacers last game of the season. And, but the Knicks write it. They're like, they stole our third daughter and et cetera, et cetera. And so I think it's just legalese. I think I mean, that's like what you do with storytelling too. There yeah. are words you use to kind of prove your point, drum up. A He's something. an eel. You make someone yeah. say, Hey, I like that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, uh, that's just history, you know, <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah, not a, maybe the, uh, Raptor scout, uh, wanted had criticized dolan on twitter and dolan was just trying to find a way to get him out of his building could be something or maybe like, like he has a relative who works for a law firm that is distantly that is like distantly suing james dolan for some reason like restitution of some sort he's like yeah because yeah, he, he, you know he does he, he you obviously know the stories he is like kind of he bars anyone who works for a law firm that is in litigation against him is not allowed into MSG, even if they are not part of the department that is suing him. So this is there is like real world examples of this. I mean, I don't know. Is Dolan even listed on the lawsuit? I, I can't imagine that he wasn't consulted in some way on this, but it may just be like, I don't know, just it may not even involve him. But, you know, considering it's coming from the Knicks and considering like kind of we're really talking about stuff that probably happens a lot and is probably not cool, but nobody ever lost sues about it it's probably something like that uh but like what what play would you be logging in the last game of the season against the indiana pacers that would be like super secretive and that you nothing just everywhere right (laughs) this is why i could never make sense of it it's not the knicks database it's nothing like that it's not the knicks in-house stuff it's their synergy account like 33% of basketball writers have the same access and the I other, that. I have access. Exactly. And the other 67% just couldn't be like, they don't give a shit. Well, is it possible it. that, is it like possible that the way that person curated the playlist will save work time for like, you don't have to, the, your scout doesn't now have to go through and like add to a separate playlist. You can just sort of start with like all of this one play you're looking for. Basically it's like a time saver more than anything. That's, that is my estimation of it. But the Knicks are saying, don't save time that we spent money on, you bastard. Give us $5,000, which <laughs> we'll see. Do they, how expensive is, like, are they going to go over the luxury tax? Like, do they need that money? That would be really, really funny. But, um, but, but it's going outside of the league, so it wouldn't even, well, I guess – it goes um, to the I mix. mean, just maybe that maybe that's five thousand more that that maybe they can do an accounting trick. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it has to do with like what's the uh, maybe the sphere isn't doing super well in Vegas. The sphere was so cool, man. I was at <laughs> summer league. I thought it was really weird and trippy. I I wasn't a huge. You didn't fan. like it? That's just like 
That's just weird, man. I, I don't. I, there are enough lights in Las Vegas on the strip. I don't need another one. Like it was. Just, but it wasn't a light. It was a basketball. A real. I know that was, ball. but that made it weirder. Uh, I loved it. It was like Pokemon was Go. It was like the you know augmented reality. It was like right there. They could yeah. turn it into a Pokeball. They could turn it into anything as long as it's round. anything that's that's round. <laughs> yeah, but maybe uh, that's losing. Maybe that's losing money. Maybe like he's got the construction costs probably went way over budget, and he's got to get some of that money back. Hmm. Yeah, and he said, "I want it from the Raptors." <laughs> they they did the the Kyle Lowry thing. He still burns. That's right. Yeah, I would be pretty upset that you know you could have had. And Kyle probably would have stayed and played in New York. The guy who would go on to be in the conversation for the best guard in the East over that time, but at the very least top three um, over the, you know, the rest of the duration with what he ended up spending with the Raptors, just like win games, transform, you know, half your team in the lineups with him. Just so, so like Jalen Brunson. He's awesome, man. He's good. Yeah, it sounds like he should have played down the stretch again. <laughs> Good. Good. I um uh, am fan. I supposed to be your enemy now because we're playing in the third place game? Like are you gonna get up at four forty in the morning to watch that? I was so I was in New Zealand for like forty days and oh, the wow. and the games were more friendly times for I'll me. Say. I'll um, say. But I just got back like two days ago. Oh wow! And then today, I I covered the four forty five game, but I didn't sleep. Like I still haven't slept mm. today. I just stayed up and I covered that game. And I'm wow. having this conversation with you. I'm gonna have a couple more conversations today, but um, I don't know if I can do that again on Sunday. Yeah, uh, not for a third place game. But yeah, we I, won't like, be uh, run, we won't be running a live blog for it. No, the athletic. Sorry. Well, I guess we'll see. But Mike, uh, any parting shots on the Raptors or the Wizards before we get out of here? No, not really. Um, that's all I got. Uh, yeah, that's all I got. Thanks for having me. Hell yeah. That's that's as good a place as any. Hey, if anybody, if you thought what Mike was saying was compelling at any point, there's a book you can go purchase. Spaced out. It's about the three-point revolution. It is the deepest dive into what happened what made it happen and the outcomes afterwards. And it's just like a huge dive into basketball, the sport, and really in what is the most important aspect of the game today. It's like such a great deep dive into it. So if anybody wants to learn about that, that's the best way to do so. That's Mike's book. And he's also an editor at The Athletic. For anybody who wants to sign up for The Athletic, I'm actually going to tell you to save that money and spend it over at RaptorsRepublic.com. Or you can <laughs> sign up for both. I like that even better, but yeah. I thought we were in Wait, competition. I was, I was, I thought we were, I was trying to get it um, since we weren't doing it over Canada, USA. Uh, well, aren't all the people listening already subscribed to Raptors Republic? Probably not. Okay. That would, that would be great, but. Okay. Probably well, sign up for both. Thank yeah. you for all the praise. <laughs> That's great. And and if you're and while you're spending money, why don't you spend money on the book? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just spend money. Hey, good. Um, all right, Mike. Sounds good. Thanks Anybody for having was, me. Yeah, of course. Anybody listening, thanks for tuning in. There's more of these to come. You've heard a few of these before this one. Uh, hope you have a great day. We'll see you. <laughs>